Charles Spurgeon was a man that God used, and millions are still being impacted by his kingdom work. As we examine his life and ministry, we hope to strengthen today's church and bring glory to Christ. My name is Joel Littlefield, lead pastor of New City Church in Bath, Maine, and I'm joined by my brother in Christ, Josh Whitney. Welcome to the Spurgeon Maniacs podcast. Hey everyone. So it has been a crazy weekend. We just got done with the conference. That was Friday night and into Saturday. And as we've been talking about, we did a live episode with our audience there, with our guests, all you guys, wonderful people that showed up. And we asked some questions to our conference speakers, Ed Romine, Jeff Chang, and James Runahan that night just before doing the conference the next day. So what you're about to listen to is that recording. Um, We've got a lot of other stuff that we plan on using later as we go throughout the year, as we prep for Spurgeon Conference 24, because that is something we want to do. So what you're going to hear is that recording. I hope it's a blessing to you. I'm just doing this real quick so that we can get it out to you as soon as possible. So Uh, If you miss Joel's voice, you're just going to have to keep listening to the podcast. But stay tuned. Enjoy this wonderful episode, and I hope that you're thoroughly blessed. Charles Spurgeon. And uh, you guys can say hi to Ed. Hi. Hi. Thanks for being Please notate the three masters. Yeah, it was a it was a point of contact of having him come here is have people understand he has three master's degrees. Nobody cares about that. <laughs> we all care. Well, thank you. We all care for sure. All right, who, who else we got, Josh? Uh, then we have Dr. Jeff Chang next to me. Uh, he serves as an elder in his local church, is the assistant professor of church history and historical theology, and is the curator of the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern Seminary. Uh, he's a graduate of the University of Texas, Southern Baptist Theological, and Midwestern Seminary, where he had his PhD work on Spurgeon's ecclesiology. So, yeah. And if you would have mentioned his height, it would have felt like uh, we were introducing a basketball player. I mean, it really sounds like we in the jeans. <laughs> it really does. Because <laughs> it's not short. Welcome to boxing. Yeah, so good to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks thank for, you. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Yeah. yeah, that's good. This is a very academic, very serious. I'm sure if you've all been listening to our podcast, you know how rigid we are, and we're just trying to keep that same format here tonight. So thank you guys for participating as well. And last but certainly not least, we have uh, James Renahan. Um, Brother James is the president of IRBS, which is International Reformed Baptist Seminary. He has a PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, an MDiv from, uh, from Seminary of the East, Trinity Mis- Ministerial Academy. Mystery. Academy. Did you write this? I copied and pasted it from IRBS. All right, so he has a, a bachelor's um, uh, from Liberty Baptist College. His academic work has focused on the Second London Baptist Confe- Confession and the broader Puritan theological context from which it arose. Yeah. Thank you, brother. For oh, being you're welcome. Here. Good to be here. James, welcome. All right. So I think next, we didn't really write this, but if, if you could, just like a couple of minutes each, um, kind of just because we obviously read your professional bio, but if you wanted to share just, just a little bit about yourselves um, and, maybe, yeah, why Spurgeon? Did you say we didn't write this? 
First question, tell us briefly about yourself and your current ministry. <laughs> it's called acting natural. It's called, it's, it's called like, oh, here's a great question. All right. It's podcasting 101. No, I did not read that question. <laughs> so why don't we start with Ed. Tell us yeah. Yeah, briefly about yourself and what you're doing in ministry right now. Well, as has already been said, I get the joy of pastoring and being a member of the First Baptist Church of Provo, Utah. And if you know anything about Utah, you know that that's where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have their headquarters. And BYU, Brigham Young University, is located in Provo. A lot of folks think it's in Salt Lake City. It's not. It's 45 minutes south and Provo, and to give you some perspective, it's about 79% LDS there, or commonly called Mormon by those not in Utah. And um, <laughs> it's a joy to be there. It's very spiritually dark, not unlike New England. So it's just a joy to be up here in another needy area for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is just absolutely amazing that I can be here and I'm considered an authority on anything because <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you know me, you know that I love to joke around. I love to have fun, but I also try to take the things of the Lord very seriously. And uh, God has been so good to me. He saved me at the age of 16 out of the occult. And God has just allowed me to do things I would never thought I'd be able to do. He saved me by his grace. So. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank really you. appreciate it, yeah. And we'll have more to ask you for sure. Yeah, uh, Jim. Oh, it's good to be here tonight. You got the mic on, guys? I didn't do anything to it. <laughs> it's not my fault. There's actually not a, a switch on that one, so I okay. believe you. You're good now. Yeah, okay. Um, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, so I'm a New Englander. Um, I'm not the most important Renahan in the room today because my son Micah is right there. Hmm. Micah pastors Wait, <laughs> in uh, next town south from here in Brunswick. Been, been there for about 10 years. Um, I was converted when I was 15. Uh, went to Bible college and then to seminary. Uh, in 1998, I moved with my family from, we were church planting in Worcester and uh, was asked to go to Southern California to Westminster Seminary, California, in Escondido, to begin a, an institute that for 20 years worked with Westminster. It was a great relationship. They were very kind, um, really enjoyed it. Mike is a graduate of our program out there, uh, mm -hmm. Westminster MDiv and IRBS certificate. Uh, his brother as well, Sam, who's a, you may have, some of you probably have seen some of Sam's books. He's a pastor in uh, La Mirada, California. Uh, about 2015, uh, some of our men began to talk about advancing our program beyond uh, five classes that we offered at Westminster. 
Is that this microphone that's given the feedback? It's probably all five. Okay. <laughs> we got it now. You're good to go. I usually make feedback with my Les Paul, not with a microphone. <laughs> you didn't know that I had a Les Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah and a Strat, and all right. But anyways, um, it was decided to develop our program into a full um, seminary program, and we moved to Texas in 2018. So we're actually coming up uh, on our 25th anniversary, and we uh, have plans to celebrate what God has done. Uh, we treat our graduates from Westminster as if they are IRBS graduates. They are, in a sense. And so we've got all kinds of events that we're heading towards uh, in the next academic year. Really excited about that. Really thankful to God for what he's done and what he is doing. Um, I guess I could talk and talk and talk, but I won't. Thank you. Uh, thank you, brother. Is this mic on? Can you guys hear me? Okay, cool. All right, and Jeff, let's uh, hear a little bit about what you're doing. So good to be with you all. Uh, my name is Jeff Chang. Uh, I grew up in, in Houston. Uh, my parents immigrated from Taiwan, first to Brazil, where I was born. I, I was actually born and raised in Sambala for eight years, and then we moved up to Houston, where I grew up for, for most of my kind of grade school years. Uh, converted by God's grace, uh, probably around middle school. I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, after college, began to sense a call to ministry. I worked in business consulting for a few years, uh, but the Lord began to draw me to himself, uh, particularly through learning Reformed theology, by learning uh, the sovereignty of God, his glory in all things. Uh, it really made me want to begin to teach the Bible more. Uh, I went off to seminary at Southern, uh, then got connected with a, a church internship uh, at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Uh, and then after serving there for, for a few years, uh, went to pastor in Portland, Oregon, uh, where I, I served for about 10 years as an associate pastor uh, alongside Michael Lawrence, who's still pastoring out there. Uh, even driving out here towards, uh, towards Bath, I saw the sign for Portland, Maine, and I got all nostalgic. You know? Nice. Because <laughs> I was in Portland for 10 years and, and grew, really grew to love that place. Uh, during that time, began to think about uh, further studies, wanted to uh, do doctoral studies. I... I Got into the program at Midwestern Seminary. Uh, I emailed one of my mentors, Mark Dever. I asked him, hey, what should I work on for, for my doctoral studies? He said, hey, why don't you look at Spurgeon's ecclesiology? And, uh, and that turned out to be just a, a wonderful field of study for me as a pastor. Uh, if you want to do doctoral studies and pastor, I don't know of anybody better to work on than Spurgeon. Hmm. Because you're going to be just edified in your studies. You're not going to leave that PhD sort of dried out spiritually. Uh, but it's going to be helpful in your preaching and how you think about your philosophy of ministry. So it did all that for me. Uh, and I, I had a wonderful four years working on kind of analyzing how he thought about the church. Uh, and surprisingly, at the end of that, uh, the school was looking for someone to come on uh, to teach church history uh, and also to head up the Spurgeon Library there at Midwestern Seminary. So, so in 2020, after praying about it, my wife and I decided to make that move. So uh, I've been in Kansas City since then. Uh, it's, it's been a wonderful time. Really enjoyed Midwestern Seminary and also enjoyed the, the church that I get to serve at also. That's awesome. And you guys had a, had a other Spurgeon conference recently too. Obviously this one being... The, the one. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but you guys just had a, a conference over there. That, was, that looked really great. I wish I could have gone, but how'd that go? Yeah, yeah, excellent. I mean, we, this is our second sort of annual Spurgeon Library conference. We had Don Whitney come. Last year we had Tom Nettles... <laughs> Uh, and it's getting better each year. You know, yeah. It's been the second year. It's getting... Do you have Alex Debrima too? 
Al, did Alex DeBrima come? Alex came, yeah. yeah. That's right. Ray Rhodes came last year. Okay, awesome. Um, it's, it's, it's meant to be sort of academic, but geared towards pastors. So awesome. uh, very edifying. Awesome. So if you guys are looking for a different Spurgeon <laughs> conference to go to, that would be the one next year for yeah. sure. That's right. <laughs> just do both. Yeah, just do both. That's right. So we have some questions that are geared towards you individually, as well as that we'd ask all of you to answer. And so we'll, we're going to start with, uh, stay right with you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, you're, on, you're the curator. And I asked, I'm going to just throw it, you're going to have to mention this, Ed. I asked Ed on the way home, what is a curator? And he it's said... kind of a cool title, isn't it? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> it just sounds cool. I'm okay with that. Yeah, so first of all, maybe, maybe we start with that. What is a curator? And then the question that you can get to is, what is, the, what is your favorite Spurgeon item at the library and why? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, a curator, think of like a museum, right? I mean, you've got somebody who has a, a collection of whatever it is, and they're trying to tell a story. Uh, and so with the Spurgeon Library, it's, it's part museum. We're, we're telling the story of Spurgeon's life uh, and his ministry, uh, but, and also part kind of research center as we are increasingly looking to uh, acquire, accumulate Spurgeon uh, artifacts, books about him, biographies about him uh, kind of in our collection so that it really has become kind of the premier place for Spurgeon scholarship, scholarship I would say, throughout the world. Uh, so it's a, it's a remarkable place. So even before I answer that question, the Spurgeon Library, just so we're clear on what it is, uh, they're not just, we don't have just books about Spurgeon, but these are actually the books that Spurgeon owned. <laughs> so this is his pastoral library. Think about, for those of you who are pastors, think about how useful, how important your books are. Your books are the tools of your ministry. Uh, this is how you furnish your mind with theology, with understanding about the, the scriptures, about church history. All these kinds of books <clears throat> Spurgeon had. Uh, he had a huge library of 12,000 volumes. Uh, about 6,000 volumes made their way to Kansas City in 1906. Uh, the Missouri Baptists, when they heard that these books could be had uh, after sitting on purchase for a while there in the UK, the Missouri Baptists sent over an offer and they were able to, to, to purchase these books. And so they came over in 1906. Um, they initially resided at William Jewell College, which was kind of the Missouri Baptist Seminary. And then in 2006, Midwestern Seminary purchased those books, uh, and we built a, a beautiful space to house them. And again, not just to house them, but to tell the, the story of the life and ministry of, of Charles Spurgeon. So if you, if you haven't been by, if you're ever making your way through the Midwest, make it a point to, to, to come by Kansas City and see the Spurgeon Library. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and just the fact that the books came to America, I mean, I think that part of what's, what that story is telling us is how Spurgeon, as you know, at the end of his life, took a stand for the gospel, for, for biblical faithfulness to, to, to the gospel. Uh, and even while the UK, in many places, was moving on kind of theologically, which is why they were, there was not that much interest in his books after he died, um, Spurgeon kind of held on to kind of evangelical truths. And uh, thankfully that the American Baptists at the time were still, you know, aligned with Spurgeon theologically, and, and therefore they were, they were very much wanting to buy those books. Anyway, so, so yeah, this, this beautiful collection, 6,000 volumes in, in our possession. Man, my favorite book uh, in that collection, I mean, I would have to say that it, it would have to be uh, Spurgeon's copy of Calvin's Institutes. Uh -huh. uh, it's, awesome. it's, it's a 1561 first edition English translation. Mm. 
of, uh, I think from the Latin, uh, beautiful script. It, it was previously owned by Benjamin Bedham, wow. uh, another significant early yeah. Baptist pastor. Yeah. Uh, so you've got Benjamin Bedham's kind of signature there on the front cover, but then it belonged to Spurgeon. And it's been beautifully rebound. Uh, th- I mean, that book alone is, is priceless, yeah. and it would have been worth the, the price of the whole collection that the Missouri Baptists paid yeah, exactly. to, to wow. get the, all those things. I was watching an interview that you had done. I cannot remember the name of the podcast, but you're, in it you said that they, they had purchased it for about 50 cents a volume. Uh, and, of course, I mean, this is in 1906 money. Sure. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was a steal. <laughs> it was a steal. And, and, and I believe, I mean, these books, all 6,000 volumes, uh, again, because they belong to Spurgeon, and, and throughout so many of them, there's like little marginalia, his handwriting in the, on the title page. <laughs> All kinds of things. I think every volume there is priceless. Mm. Uh, so I think that even when Midwestern bought them in 2006, we got them for a steal too. Yeah. <laughs> Still, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, just to give a little tip for you guys, if you've never been to a conference like this, or as you're hearing names, uh, I started to do this years ago. When you're reading about a particular member of church history, and then you read about somebody who was connected to them, take note of those names. Yeah, write them down. Write them down. I would. I would. Like, get your pens out, take notes, and, and do some digging, and, and I'm sure you'll find a, a, a treasure of, of history and learning and growing in, in biblical studies. And so, as these guys are mentioning names... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Cause, you know, because w- one of the joys of having a conference on a figure in church history is we get to kind of rejoice in the fact that we're not the first ones to have come up Amen. with this thing called Christianity. Amen. Christian. Amen. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. Virgin stood on the shoulders of those who came before him. And so for us to recognize kind of the, the way the gospel has been contended for and handed down through the ages, I mean, that's, that's a stewardship that we have today, right, to, to keep Amen. that fire going Amen. for the next generation. Well said, really. Absolutely. So this one would be for, for all three of you to take turns on. What is one burning question you will want to ask Spurgeon when you meet him in glory? Why don't we start with Ed? What would you ask him? How's it been to worship your Savior all these years since you passed on? How has it been to worship your Savior? What do you, knowing Spurgeon, what do you, what do you think he will say? Indescribable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Indescribable. So, he may not even let me ask him a question. So, <laughs> he, he may be transfixed with the glories of Jesus. Uh, would you so, not love me, please? Yeah, right? So, yeah. That's beautiful. He may be transfixed with the glories of Jesus. Yeah. So we all hope to be. Amen. You opened the door for me, Ed. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) You know, as as I've thought about this question today, um, it it kind of bothered me. Mm. I, I don't say that negatively. Sure. Um, and I hope that this doesn't sound super spiritual, but what Ed just said is exactly what's been on my mind. I don't know that Spurgeon would want to be asked that. You know, I I think that I've thought a lot about heaven with parents dying, and my brother died in February, and just thinking through what's the experience of a believer in going to heaven, and I think of of the words from... uh, they're from Samuel Rutherford, but they were put into verse in the hymn, um, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. And it says, the lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. 
So I was thinking, you know, it, it won't be my desire to see my brother Mike. It won't be to see my mother. It won't be to see John Owen, who's my favorite theologian. It will be to be in Christ's presence and see him. And so I, I don't know that I can even come up with a question because I think Ed's right. Yeah, that's, that, that's what Spurgeon would be doing. He'd be so transfixed by the glory of the Savior, and so will I. That, and Paul says, we'll know even as we're, we're known. So I think we'll know the answer to the questions yeah. uh, mm. when we're there. So I, I really struggled with this question today. And we that's met, we sort meant of to do that. my yeah. process. <laughs> Our goal was Thank anxiety you. and frustration. Yeah. Neither. You weren't successful in either. Oh, good. Just didn't know how to answer. Mm, yeah. That's good. Well, the, the, the city will need no sun because of the radiant, because Christ will be our light. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's Amen. Yeah. I'm really curious what Jeff's going to say. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't, I wanted, did I you enjoy the cigars? I to go last because I didn't want to spoil it for somebody else. Well, clearly these brothers are more spiritual than I am. <laughs> so spiritual. I have like so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. It's <laughs> good. Uh, I mean, just as a historian, I've got all kinds of questions about, you know. Well, so, so the one thing that I would want him to talk me through uh, would just be, I've already mentioned this, the downgrade controversy. I mean, that battle at the end of his life, he's so gracious in his writings. He, he chose to, rather than tell the full story in his own lifetime, he kind of, he, the battle went on, we knew the facts of it, and he kind of just closed the book on it and said, you know, kind of, eternity will reveal what really happened, right? And, and Supposedly, his wife burned some letters that would have been actually quite condemning of the Baptist Union uh, in his day. Uh, but he chose to not make those, those things known. Um, but I would have loved just to hear him. Uh, again, this, the downgrade controversy was this conflict that he had with his denomination, the Baptist Union, at the end of his life as he detected that people were becoming increasingly open to theological liberalism uh, in the denomination. And he took a stand for it, and as a result uh, was basically kind of rebuked, publicly rebuked by the, by the denomination. It was heartbreaking. Many of his students kind of turned on him. Um, it, it, according to his wife, it was kind of that last conflict that actually killed him because of mm-hmm. the heartache. Uh, so I would just love to hear him talk through you know, it, that experience uh, because really that battle marks a, a turning point among nonconformists mm-hmm. uh, there in the UK, you know, as you move into the 20th century. Uh, nonconformists in the UK really go, begin to go in a different direction uh, after following that, that, that battle. So Spurgeon was right there in the midst of that, and uh, I'd love just to hear his side of the story. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, You're raising your hand? Yep. Um, I, I'm used to not being up here. I'm sorry. So... <laughs> Um, if I if I were to ask Spurgeon uh, one thing though, to kind of given the permission, now I was just going to say, now you can ask. Thank you. Thank you. Spiritual now you open the door for him. Please, your penance has been paid. Say what you want. Oh dear. Okay. Well, good for me. So, um, is there any of your controversies that you would have fought differently? knowing what you know, seeing Jesus Christ as he is face to face. So. 
So again, it goes back to his knowledge of Christ fully perfected in heaven. So. Awesome. We're going to direct this one back to James. Um, I heard your friends call you Jim. Yeah. I'm going to call you Jim. Okay. All right. Timothy? Um, <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. That, that. All right. So this is, a, this, is a, this is a good one. I can't, I'm looking forward to hearing you speak on this. How, how has Spurgeon's life and ministry impacted your relationship with Christ the most? I think that the two talks that I have to give tomorrow are directly relevant to this question. Um, I teach a course on the Psalms at our seminary. Uh, Its title is uh, Preaching the Psalms in a Christian Congregation. And I think Spurgeon's work, The Treasury of David, Mm. um, has been incredibly helpful. Um, I... Years ago, I did a devotional treatment of the Treasure of David and brought some of the copies of that with me for sale. They're on the table that says free books, but they're not for sale. <laughs> Don't take it. Does it actually? Oh, it is right there. Yeah, they're on the back. They're called Daily Treasure. So I really do. I, you know, they belong to the seminary, so you have to pay for them, sadly. But um, I, I think that working through that material and excerpting it and putting it together. In fact, it's what I'm using this year for my devotions um, has been really helpful because Spurgeon understood that the Psalms to a large degree are about Christ. That's right. And he he brings that out over and over again. Um, That's why I I did the the devotional treatment and uh, hope it's helpful. But then the other talk tomorrow is about Spurgeon's Pastors College. And of course, being the president of a seminary, it's uh, made me think about uh, the importance of the next generation. And that's one of the first things I will say in that talk tomorrow is how Spurgeon recognized the importance of preparing men to go out, not just in his own generation, but in the next generation. And so that has helped me to think through how how with God's blessing I can see men prepared to go out and proclaim the gospel of Christ to sinners and to build up saints in various churches. Um, You know, I I love um, uh, lectures to my students, Uh, just a, a fantastic book, at times hilarious, I have laughed out loud at times reading through that because Spurgeon was a great comedian. Just one of his one of his uh, unrecognized uh, gifts was comedy. Uh, he could say, "If you have you ever read uh, um, uh, what's it called, the book on uh, commenting and commentaries?" Some of that stuff is incredibly hilarious, where he does wordplay on people's names, or he'll tell you, uh, you know, uh, this book is, is, will be helpful to start the fire in your fireplace, or such <laughs> things. Just great comments. Um, but I, I would say that the two talks tomorrow have, are directly related to the answer to this question. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Ed, this one's for you. Um, why should Christians today 
interact with Spurgeon? And what's the best way for people to do that in a way that, in a way they glorifies God? You could when you, I could have. <laughs> yeah. But you pointed out the first question, That's so true. I figured, That's now true. we're even. Yeah. So when you say interact, there's an assumption there that is read his material. And the first thing I would say to read for the lay person would be just read his sermons. Behold Christ in his sermons. Uh, one of my favorite Spurgeon sermons is called Now. And in that sermon, he goes through uh, the Bible verse, I believe it's Now is the Day of Salvation. And he just goes on wordplay saying, Now is the time to get right with Christ. Now is the time to behold your Savior. And he keeps repeating that refrain, now, 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 now. And you really see behind that sermon just the evangelistic heartbeat that I think we need to reclaim as Baptist preachers. That in Spurgeon's sermons, although he never said the phrase, be lying to a cross, he would have... Most assuredly, <laughs> did I miss something? I feel like you're uh, attacking. Was that on purpose? <laughs> no, it had nothing to do with Joel's book. But now that it, now that I think about it, sure, Most why of not? Most my laughter came from Jeff going. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. See, look at what I missed. Oh, if y'all had stayed silent, I would have just kept on yapping. Yeah, yeah that's true. So, I, I couldn't help it. But. Uh, he would have agreed with that wonderful phrase that somebody else has said by now. Amen. And <laughs> Okay. So, yeah. and he endeavored to see Christ in, in every text. And some have argued that Spurgeon was not an expositor because he tried so hard, uh, successfully, I believe, to get to Christ that he really bypassed the meaning of text. But Tom Nettles pointed out to me, and I'm very grateful that he did, that every Sunday morning service, I believe it was before the actual sermon, and they started putting these in the Metab volumes, his little short expositions, which an exposition for Spurgeon was not necessarily the sermon. He made a distinction there. For him, an exposition was just his commentary on the text. And oftentimes, in those expositions, he was very, how shall we say, historical, grammatical, and how he looked at it. So, he would take an Old Testament text and draw out principles from the actual story. But when it came to the preaching of the cross, he would, he would allegorize uh, very much so, taking cues from Origen and others from, 
from early church history. So Spurgeon actually taught his students. Uh, there's a lecture in the lectures to my students called On Spiritualizing, where he really endeavors to bring back kind of this idea of a pre-critical exegesis, if you will, where he really is trying to teach his students it's worth it to always see Christ in the text. Was he a consistent practitioner all the time? No, he wasn't. But what you can say about Spurgeon is he was a man like his hero, John Bunyan, that if you cut him, he bled Biblin. So he bled the blood of Christ. He, he endeavored to see Christ in every text. And whether we're preaching in the open air or preaching in the street or preaching behind the pulpit, we need to be like Spurgeon and endeavor to always preach the Lord Jesus. Amen. So, Amen. Awesome. So in that... In, in your answer, it reminded yes. me of something. And I would, I'd love for you and anyone else who would want to. Um, I think about his, his own conversion where the, the gen- there was no pastor that day. And so a gentleman went up and just kind of muddled through, uh, as he, I think he wrote in his autobiography, a, a, a thick Essex accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a very kept, stupid man. A very stupid man. Yeah. Yeah. But he pre- I didn't say that. He said that. <laughs> Duly noted? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but in it, he said that he was preaching on the, on the text, look unto Christ. And he just kept saying, look, look, look. And he was um, pointing to, like, why won't you look to him? How, just thinking through that and everything you were saying now about that sermon now, how much do you think that moment, or how else you could elaborate on it, played into how he preached from then on, there on out? It, in my mind, it seems some similarities as a guy who has not gone through all of his sermons and his autobiographies. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed to be catching to me just then as you gave that answer. Yeah, so is that for me, first off? For you and any, any okay. I'd love to see so some I'll of the perspectives. I'll keep this answer shorter. So th- there's debate about when exactly Spurgeon got saved and Spurgeon scholarship about the date, the timing of the snowstorm, blah, blah, blah. But people uh, have to realize that Spurgeon never actually found out who the guy was. There was people that they think it might have been, but Spurgeon never really could confirm who this quote-unquote stupid man was. And one of the things that's so striking to me is there wasn't a lot of people there because the snowstorm was really bad. The layperson knew the congregation, assumingly, and he recognized that there's this young man here who hasn't been here before. And he looked right at the Spurgeon, and he said, Young man, you are miserable, and you will be miserable unless you obey my text. And at that moment, the scales fell from his eyes. Spurgeon, I think it was Nettles, maybe uh, another scholar that said that Spurgeon talked about his conversion 
at least a couple times in every volume. I may be getting my actual facts on that wrong. But Spurgeon talked about his conversion a lot. And there's a lot of different variations on particular events. But one thing that is always the same is that moment where the scales fell from his eyes and Spurgeon looked until he couldn't look anymore. Amen. And that is conversion. And just the fact that God used to rank Arminian in some of our more <laughs> Calvinistic circles. We like to think about them like that, don't we? But Spurgeon used to Arminian to save the would be known as the Prince of Preachers uh, uh, eternally never dying soul. Amen. God, God can use anybody he jolly well pleases. Amen. And I think that colored Spurgeon's ministry more than anything else. He didn't even remember who it was. But he remembered the God that he looked to. Amen. Thank you, brother. You guys have any, any comments or thoughts about that? Well, I think Spurgeon, would make, he makes the comment in his autobiography that it wasn't the, the written word that saved him, but it was the preached word. And <laughs> therefore, as a result, he would always attach a special value to the live preaching of God's word. Uh, so, you know, he, he, he went on to publish a lot of sermons. He, he printed a lot of his sermons. But he always would write in the preface, don't let this be a substitute for mm. fellowship with God's people. You know? And actually attending to the, 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 the gathering of the church. Uh, and he saw it as a terrible sort of evil when people would buy a printed sermon and stay home from church. Because right? mm-hmm. that, that was good enough. And I think in our day, what, a, what an important word. In oh our, gosh. As we are tempted to think about Zoom church and all the rest. Uh, now the, the value of hearing God's word preached, you know, in person. Amen. Uh, that's what the Lord used, you know, yep. yeah. in Spurgeon's life, and that's what He continues to use in our day. Yeah. How will they know unless uh, they hear, and how will they hear unless someone preaches? I hope that you guys already, just from a quick Q and A, um, your appetite is is uh, ready for more. Um, and and I think you know, I've, I was asked several times, what is a Spurgeon conference? Um, why? Why would we focus time uh, for a couple of days on a man like this? And I think just from these brothers humbly answering, they've spent a lot of their life looking at Spurgeon, and you can see, you can hear the glory is to Jesus um, and, and the grace of God. And so, um, yeah. Some, something we say frequently at the Spurgeon Library is that our goal here is not that you would look to Spurgeon, but look through Spurgeon, look through Spurgeon. You know, to, to see That's good. Christ. Mm-hmm. And all of his sufficiency and goodness, and what faithfulness to him looks like. Amen. That's, Amen. I trust that's our goal for this. That conference. is exactly right. So I yep. hope that as we leave here tomorrow afternoon, you guys are um, ready to look through Spurgeon, and he becomes a help to your growth in Christ and your and your love for the Scriptures, and certainly what it's done for me and yeah. doing for Josh and these brothers here. Any last? Uh, maybe what, what do you what would you guys say? What, what would you wish would be an end result for these uh, the, these people who have signed up and registered for this conference, uh, if each of you would just give a brief prayer or a hope that you would like to see happen. Well, so many of you here are, I believe, pastors or, or involved in, in local church ministry. Uh, so much of what I've worked on, Lord willing, there will be copies of my book here by tomorrow, uh, is kind of Spurgeon's pastoral ministry, so, so Spurgeon the pastor. Uh, and, you know, f- for me, Spurgeon has been kind of a, a mentor, 
you know, what, what, a, what a wonderful gift it is to have somebody who's, who's been through the trenches, who, who's uh, fought the battles, uh, to whom I can go with questions and try to understand what he did in this context, and then think about what does that look like in my day, right? How do I pursue faithfulness uh, in, in similar ways? So uh, that's, that's my, my hope is that as you walk away from here, perhaps Spurgeon could be a mentor for you as you seek to be faithful in local church ministry. Jim? I think that... Um, I wonder what he would think about a Spurgeon conference. I've thought the same. He probably would love it. <laughs> no. I, I think he would say, I, I want you to look to Spurgeon's Savior. Amen. And I Amen. think that that's what we ought to want right. from this yeah. conference. Amen. Um, you know, when you look at the treasury of David... Someone criticized him because at the end of each psalm, when he finishes dealing with it, he has hints to village preachers. Somebody criticized that fact as if it was condescending. And yet, when he defended himself uh, in the preface to one of the latter volumes, he said he used that language because he didn't view himself as one who was capable of telling accomplished preachers what, how, to, how to treat the psalms. He was trying to help those who were untrained and didn't have a lot of ability. Yeah. So I, I don't think that he was a man who was proud. I think he was humble, and he would have wanted us not so much to leave tomorrow night and say, wow, what a great man Spurgeon was. But you know what? He was a great man. But he wouldn't have wanted us to say that. He would want us to say what a great Savior Spurgeon mm-hmm. had. So I hope Amen. that that's what comes out of this. Excellent. Amen. For those of you that are preachers, whether you're pastors or evangelists or itinerant pulpit preachers, endeavor to preach Christ in every sermon. Mm. And if you are a lay person and you've never preached a sermon in your life, pray for your pastors, for your ministers to endeavor to preach Christ faithfully in every sermon and live a life that exudes as this brother here has uh, alluded to humility and just longing for for that great day of revelation that first Peter talks about when we'll see him face to face because that's what it's all about I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to heaven, if the theologians are right and they say we have jobs, because the only thing I really know how to do is preach, but I guess I'll find something. <laughs> so, but uh, with that said, just pastor, preacher, preach Christ. Amen. And for the congregant, pray that your preachers would preach Christ every Sunday, not just on Easter. Not just at Christmas, but every single Sunday. You won't get tired of it. Spurgeon never did. Amen. Awesome. That's gold. That's really good. I'm looking forward to to learning and listening to all of your talks tomorrow, and I'm sure you guys are as well. And um, just to honor the time frame and these guys, let's wrap it up. And why don't you pray? for us and then we can uh, we'll give some just last minute instructions uh, but thank you guys all for being here I'm really looking forward to tomorrow yeah, absolutely. let's give them a round of applause
Yeah, so that's uh, that's an episode of Spurgeon Maniacs that you guys are all a part of. So make sure you write this down on your calendar. It's a, it's a beautiful day. They won't um, be back next week, though. They they won't be back. No, no, no. no. It's not guys. typically like this. No, it's not typically yeah. like this. This is this has been a huge. This blessing. is awesome. Thank you. Our yeah. ratings are gonna go sky high now. Thank you, guys. We're gonna get like eight downloads now. It's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. No. Um. So this is also what we're gonna be doing at the end of tomorrow. But your turn. So be thinking of that. If you didn't bring a pen and paper tonight, please find one. Go to Walmart. Go, go somewhere. Like, please grab a, a pen and paper. Uh, bring it tomorrow. Write down some of those questions and uh, be prepared for an amazing time. Um, and, yeah, so I immediately forgot what you was. Just, just we're going to pray. Like, let's just leave. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to pray, pray, and then we'll wrap it up, and we'll go. Awesome. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, as we've heard tonight, God, we... Uh, we praise and we glorify uh, the Savior that Spurgeon prayed and glorified, Lord. Uh, let, us, let us continually look through that. Um, as, uh, as Jeff said, Lord, uh, we, we look, we're looking through his eyes to see the Savior. Um, and we want to just see Christ. We want to see him high and lifted up. And we're going to look back to this man who had done that um, faithfully and incredibly so because of the savior he served and so lord bless us tonight thank you so much for all of these wonderful people who would come out and and uh and hear this i pray that you give them rest tonight as we've got a a wonderful but somewhat early start for a saturday and um and bring everyone back here safely and let all of this lord all of this be to the glory and praise of you god of heaven and earth we thank you, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, guys, 7 o'clock tomorrow, breakfast will be served, and then we'll get going right around 8 o'clock. So be here early.